Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the world of business together with the shapers in the world of jazz, soul and blues. I know you know the drill. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is Ben Farron, founder and CEO at Spoke, the e-commerce menswear brand with an emphasis on the perfect fit, it says here. Fed up of falling between the small, medium, large clothing sizes, which, as Ben says, are designed to manage inventory, not to deliver fit, Ben saw a gap in the market. Ignoring the fact he had no background in fashion, he quit his well-paid job as a management consultant and in 2014 launched Spoke, specialising at first in chinos and focusing on staple pieces made with real craftsmanship rather than on-trend fast fashion. Selling exclusively online and using machine learning fitting tools to help customers find their size, more about that later, Spoke now offers over 400 trouser sizes, hand-finished to order, and has expanded its range to include denim, corduroy and polo shirts too. It's very nice to have you here. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. How did the management consultant leave that lovely, comfortable world and decide to go into the lunacy and the chaos, Ben, of of running their own business? And I've met a few people that have made that move, and it always strikes me as a a jump from the cerebral to the the unknown. Yeah, I suppose I just I got to the end of my twenties, and and the thought occurred to me that there might be more to life than making PowerPoint slides and Excel models, and turned out to be a thought I couldn't shake. And it found, found initial expression in something pretty radical and exotic. So I didn't start with trousers. I was so determined to break the pattern and do something different that I found myself working in, in West Africa for three or four years, starting and running a fintech business out there based in Freetown, in Sierra Leone, which was as much of a departure from normal life as it sounds. An incredible experience. I, I look back on now through rose-tinted specs, I think, because the kind of raw exoticism of it contrasts quite sharply with the life I now lead in southwest London <laughs> in a tiny bubble making trousers. Um, it was amazing. I'd fly out to, to Freetown in Sierra Leone every, every month, spend three weeks out of four there. And yeah, that you know, distance now, that tastes incredibly exotic. And there's some of that that I miss. But it was really hard. And it involved making what we can euphemistically refer to as lifestyle trade-offs that ultimately became too much. Well, I got married, and I don't think that was a brilliant way to, to live out my, my first year of marriage, mm. spending uh, three quarters of the time a very, very long way away. So so I actually departed that business before I really felt ready to, and did so with quite a lot of regret. And some of that, some of that explains the choices I made subsequently. I hadn't scratched the itch. I needed to go again. So I was, I was very suggestible. And under those conditions, you can, you can make interesting and unusual choices. And, <laughs> and here I am, my mum puts it, selling trousers on the internet. Before we come to selling trousers on the internet, you said something which is interesting to me about breaking the pattern, which is why you decided to go for the, the sojourn into West Africa. Was the pattern, I've been to Cambridge University, I've got a great job in management consultancy, that's exactly what I expected slash other people expected, and you know what, I don't want to be that. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, it's sort of a bit of a cliche, isn't it? I mean, desperate cliche. I mean... But you were happy. I mean, you must yeah, have been yeah, intrigued yeah. The, at the, the time. The dirty secret at the bottom of all of this is that 
I quite enjoyed it. Mm. I'm a bit of a variety junkie. I was being cycled through lots of different industries and being asked to think about lots of very different problems. Got on really well with my coworkers. Many of them are still great friends. Married one of them. So there was lots of, it was really great about those five or six years. They sent me out to Southeast Asia. I lived in New York for three years. I mean, it was pretty good. You're describing something that sounds quite <laughs> aspirational. Ben. No, it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> but the work did the work did feel like it was starting to repeat, and I just couldn't get comfortable with the idea that this thing that I'd stumbled into on leaving university for want of better ideas, hedging my bets, was truly vocational, the thing I was meant to do. Mm. Um, so I felt like I had to shake the snow globe quite hard. Yeah, that's what that's what Freetown represented. The journeys that you took, and you threw in a lot at the beginning, you know, you lived in Africa, I think you, you also lived in New York. The variety thing sounds super important to you. Why is that, Ben? Why wasn't it enough to be on this really clear path in management consultancy doing intrinsically interesting things in different industries, one after another? I suppose it just, if I'm being super rational about it, it, it felt incredibly implausible that I had landed on the best thing. I think the choices you make in the early part of your career can be quite formative and lock you into a path. And yeah, I just had this overwhelming sense that I was I was passing some gates and, uh, you know, it wasn't going to be long before the range of options in front of me narrowed a lot. And yeah, this, this was the last point I could do something radical. So it was something faintly gratuitous about the <laughs> radical set of choices I then subsequently made. But yeah, I, I don't regret it. I mean, it's, mm. it was an extraordinarily different set of experiences I had out there and a really interesting frame of reference for the kinds of problems that I confront in southwest London suburbia and in, and in trousering. <laughs> and in, well, in setting up your own business and having it heavily funded and all, all, yeah. all the rest of it. Yeah. Did you slightly surprise yourself and shock yourself? Was that part of it as well? Was there a bit of a... Yeah, I was, reaching, I, yeah, I was trying to feel a bit more uncomfortable. And, how, and, and feel alive, but it was, yeah. did it do now, here we are, 2021, business set up seven years ago, the things that are thrown at you in any given week of running your own business are huge, various, stressful, fun, mm -hmm. exhilarating, depressing, all those things. Are you able to cope and deal with all those things because of everything you've done to date? Is that how you see it or do you not think about it? I don't know. I don't, I don't, it's, it's difficult to say how to determine how much that very different set of experience prepared me for what I do today. I suppose over time I've developed some resilience and as is commonly observed and is entirely true, <laughs> the single biggest attribute or single most important attribute you can carry around with you as an entrepreneur is, is resilience. So I suppose, yeah, I could argue that some of the things I did in my late 20s fostered a bit of that and that's probably stood me in good stead. Yeah, so it's not something you think about day to day, but I, I imagine there's some of that going on. Does it make you happy doing what you do now in the in the in the hot seat, or are, are there moments when you go, "What have I done?" I get asked this question so much, and I think I think people sometimes overinterpret the ambiguity of my answer. You know, they hear me hesitate over the answer and think, "God, God, it sounds dreadful. He must be really struggling." And that's not it. It's just complicated. It's just the the experience of running your own business is so varied and follows such a non-linear path and has so many ups and downs that it's impossibly difficult to summarize in 10 seconds how, mm. how, how you feel about this thing that you've been experiencing for seven years. I mean, look, it, it's as hard as they say. Mm. It's, not, it's not an easy ride. You are 
so completely and thoroughly invested in this thing in a way that is entirely different to the experience you have as an employee, I think, certainly as, as I experienced it. And, and that can be really painful sometimes, you know, when you're staring at the ceiling at 4am, worrying how you're going to fix those things. I, I, I remember telling myself when things were, were difficult in the early part of my career, you know, there was, this, there was always this kind of security blanket and the idea that, you know, I can always quit. There'll be other jobs. That's a really powerful thought sometimes for retaining your sanity when things are hard. And you just don't have that. That just goes away completely when you decide to, to start your own business. So many things lock, lock you in. The, the promises you make to yourself, the promises you make to investors, pride. We're all desperate to make sure it doesn't, doesn't end in failure. And even when you move beyond that point, even when you've built some real momentum, yeah, the, the level of investment you feel and the success of this thing is, 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 is quite apart from certainly anything else I've experienced in my career. So it's not a joyride, I think is what I'm saying. But yeah, there are moments of really deep satisfaction. And I don't think those are matched by other career experiences either. So it's a trade-off. And I think the ratio between the, the pain and the satisfaction changes over time. It's really, really hard at the start. And it does, the, the tempo of that kind of positive endorsement increases as things go on, as you achieve more commercial success, as more people have heard of what you're doing, as it sort of seems more legitimate to the outside world. As you look around you and you see the great team that you've built, all these wonderful, smart, hardworking people, doing something productive that you're able to keep in employment. These sorts of things, as you get scale, start to weigh more heavily in the balance. So yeah, in that sense, it does, it gets, gets better. Stay me to find out much more from my business shape today. It's Ben Farron. He's the CEO and founder of Spoke. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. But right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Michigan Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishkan Dere, Susie Sendama and Emily Dorotheo talk about how fashion brands can be more sustainable while maintaining profitability and what consumers should be doing to support sustainable fashion. The Mishkan Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. It seems that for some consumers and some retailers, it's all about price. How can clothing brands maintain profitability but have an ethical supply chain at the same time? It's a really difficult question. And I, I sympathize so much with brands on this because like you say, I think consumers are predominantly driven by price simply because we've enjoyed low prices for so long. I mean, the stark reality is, is that it's, it's extremely difficult to sell something for three pounds when the UK minimum wage is eight pounds 72. Um, in order to make that maths work, someone elsewhere in the supply chain ha has got to be suffering, I think. I think a united approach is needed from the industry simply because if you have a proportion of the, the fashion sector that is deciding to pay people fairly, inevitably they're going to have to increase their prices to sort of to make up for that. And then you might have a divergence where some are paying people fairly and have increased prices and you have others that might not be taking that path and they're more competitively priced. I mean, the things that brands can do in terms of improving their supply chain and making sure that there are no modern slavery occurrences in their supply chain is to have a real understanding of what goes on. And that can be achieved by conducting risk assessments and supply chain audits. So you know exactly where the risks are sitting. You know, do you know whether the factory workers are being paid minimum wage? 
is there a way for the factory workers to easily raise grievances with brands? And that's definitely something that we at Michigan can can help brands do. We've got an exceptional experience in the retail sector. And we've recently launched a, a new part of our business called Michigan Purpose, which helps clients plan for a more sustainable business. The Michigan Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And indeed, you can hear this very program again with Ben if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you have a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers. And there you'll find a taster of our recent shows. But back to today, it's Ben Farron, founder and CEO at Spoke, the e-commerce menswear brand with an emphasis on the perfect fit. I feel like I'm just then moving into advertorial, (laughs) but that's absolutely fine. I asked you a question, and maybe it was a a bad question. It was, if you say, oh, I'm always asked that question, am I happy? I want to ask it in a different way. You talk about, did I find the thing that I was meant to be on this planet for? Are you now in that thing, Ben, where you you, you mentioned some really positive pieces of that? And of course, you said it's not a joy ride, but you talked about the fact that there's people being productive, that there's people earning a living, and that they feed their family and feed themselves and whatever else. And those are really great things. And you also talked about... I think it was affirmation, positive affirmation, getting thicker and faster as you start to grow commercially. Do you think you were born to to do this thing where you didn't have a boss and you had no, you had no safety net on all those other things that you sort of had at the beginning of your career and no longer have? It's a high bar, right? But roughly, that I've, the, I've found the one. <laughs> but are you in the ballpark? Do you think? Forget forget spoke, which I do want to talk about right away. I do think I do think I'll find it hard to go back to not working for myself i think people talk about the one-way street quite a lot and i I think that'll be there's a future in my career that isn't entrepreneurial i think that'll be an interesting readjustment Mm. and there are certainly moments where i really enjoy the freedom i i I shy from you know big statements like this is the thing i was i was put on this earth to do but uh yeah look i'm gratified by it on a Mm. day-to-day basis and that feels like a good thing that feels like an important box to have ticked but you're evidently quite thoughtful about these things in the sense yeah, that you're... too much, too no, much. But, but in the sense that you really, you're not going to fool yourself that this is it. You're no, also not going to say, because you said, you know, sometimes people misinterpret the ambiguity. But yeah, I just actually, think too hard about it. It's not, it's, it's not, yes, people should, yeah. I, it, it's better than I make it sound sometimes. No, but that, that, okay, now let's talk about Spoke and how this very thoughtful person that I'm meeting for the first time in front of me, who really does think things through, actually said, you know what, I'm going to do this. Because that in itself is counterintuitive to me for someone who's really thoughtful. Often super thoughtful people don't quite make the decision to say, right, I'm going to launch this brand. I've seen a gap. There's a problem. I'm just going to go and do it. How did you launch the business at the beginning? How did you actually go, I'm okay with this, even though it may not be the thing, might not be perfect? So so I suppose the the kind of irreducible piece of it, the thing that I can't, the kind of the driving force behind Spoke is this really abstract idea I had that I quite wanted to start a consumer brand. I quite like the idea of building and making a brand that people loved and enjoyed buying from. And I can't really rationalize that for you. I just saw other people doing it, thought it looked fun, thought there was the potential for professional gratification in that. I wanted to give it a go. I'd landed on that really abstract thought. As I say, it was super suggestible because I'd come back from... Africa and I hadn't finished the entrepreneurial journey. I hadn't closed the loop. The itch hadn't been scratched. And in that context, 
I could observe, especially across the Atlantic, this kind of Cambrian explosion of direct-to-consumer e-commerce businesses, brands that just came out of nowhere and were suddenly doing $100 million. And I thought that looked like a fun ride. And I, you know, started making really dangerous statements like, how hard can it be? And I'll figure it out. And I suppose, look, the truth of all of these things always is one thing led to another. It's not like one day I woke up, no. rubbed my hands and said, right, we're going to start a menswear brand. But slowly, ineluctably, that sort of narrative built up and I ran a little pilot, seemed to go well, made 200 pairs of trousers. I got bought pretty quickly, not just by friends, but friends of friends. And I was able to sell it to myself. And then, yeah, you put one foot in front of the other. You start climbing and you kind of impose the narrative afterwards. But yeah, there's a lot of contingency in the moment. And how quickly did you realize after that initial phase, you know what, this could grow, this could be something? Yeah, I felt, I felt like an immediate pull of endorsement when we, when we sold the first few pairs, when I sold the first few pairs using a really basic Shopify site, put together a landing page and it was promising, better fit, inviting people to sign up with the promise of a discount on their first purchase and that got surprising traction a surprising number of people shared it and i ended up with a list of a thousand people i just thought there's something going on here this isn't i've alighted on something here that resonates with other people not just me and look, it's also true that i i a lot of the frustrations that i have been trying to address for seven years i felt pretty keenly myself as a consumer it was real i was really annoyed that i you know i'm pretty bang average i'm six foot and i'm you know 80 i kilos. wish i wish that was <laughs> i mean i i am not six foot ben I'm. Uh, I'd like to I'm be pretty, average, Ben. Uh, the, 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 I feel pretty ordinary, and yet, and yet, because I have a 33-inch waist, not a 32, not a 34, but a 33-inch waist, and a 31-inch leg, not a 30 or a 32, uh, actually finding stuff off the rack that, that genuinely fits was a real pain in the ass. It was really, really difficult, and that seemed crazy. You know, I'm right in the middle of the bell curve. I'm, I'm really, really ordinary and average. And I'm having to make all of these compromises and take everything to the dry cleaners. And it's 2014. Doesn't need to be this way. And yeah, that set of ideas was sufficiently compelling to set me on my way. And I kind of like a challenge. I mean, I knew nothing about making clothes. I knew nothing about trousers. I knew nothing about the supply chain. But actually, one of the things that I suppose consulting taught me was this, uh, and I actually learned to enjoy, was this task of climbing up the learning curve as fast as possible in, in three months, just trying to be plausible in something completely new really, really quickly. That was a muscle that I quite enjoyed exercising. I don't know if I ever pulled it off, but that's what I was trying to do a lot of the time. And the, the confidence that gave me, the fact that I'd done that before many times, I don't know if it's, it's confidence or whether it's just plain foolish, but you know, I, I was willing to embrace that idea. Oh, how hard can it be? I'll give this a go. Ben, back in 2014, when you sort of, you scratched that itch and you, as you said, you went on that big learning curve where you were kind of finding out and, and making sure that you knew your stuff before you launched. And then, as you mentioned, you launched and it got going. Many people in your position know then that the next stage, I've got to get this funded. If I'm going to get the rocket ship going, I need to put some fuel in it. Did you find that just another thing? And do you find that just another thing, which is a necessary evil or do you embrace it? I'm just wondering, because some people talk about it as if it's a really easy thing and, and they take it for granted, and others are like, it is the hardest part of what I do. What is your relationship with the capital that's in your business and the people that support that capital? I actually have a really good relationship with most of my investors. 
and enjoy spending time with them and their input's really important and constructive and I'm not, I might sound like a hostage saying that. but Not at all. Are they, are they patient with you? Yeah, and yeah the they business. have been. They have been. I mean, look, I don't, if the business hadn't performed, I don't know how it would have worked. I don't know how those relationships would feel. But we've had a good run. And and yes, my relationships with them are, are positive and constructive. You don't start a business to raise money. You start a business to build something. Mm. It is a means to an end. And the, the process isn't great. You know, the, if you just look at the funnel and the, you know, the way the numbers stack against you, it's, it's, it's a sales job. And with a sales job comes a lot of rejection. There are plenty of no's for every yes. And they're always hard to hear. And there are times when that process of fundraising can feel utterly debilitating. And I say that as somebody who's, who's been reasonably successful in doing it. So I don't relish it. And I suppose if you gave me the option to turn it off, if you mm. told me it didn't need to be part of the process, I think that might be a massive improvement in the entrepreneurial experience. But if you want to get where you're going fast, yeah. if you want to turn what could be a 25-year journey into a 10-year one, then there aren't many alternatives. And conversely, the people in your business, you, you touched on it earlier when you said it's, it gives you a sense of pride and, well, and well-being because you see people doing good things. Do you enjoy that side of the business, the kind of the people management, the helping people realise their potential bit? It's definitely true to say that some of the most gratifying moments I've had in the last seven years have occurred suddenly and quietly as I stand at the water cooler and look back across the office and see all of these people being productive, apparently enjoying their jobs. There's a kind of visceral satisfaction that comes with that that I don't get in many other places. It's also true that people are the hardest thing, and, and that's true in lots of different ways that we probably don't have time to go into. But hiring the right people and developing them and keeping them happy and retaining the best ones, uh, yeah, these things are really, really hard. And some of my lowest moments have been when, when you know, things have gone wrong. People have left who I really wish hadn't. Mm. Or I've, I've failed to close uh, um, on, on, a, on a great potential candidate. Those, those are all low moments. So I think the people are, are a really important part of the experience and they define how it feels on many days. And that's, that's both positive and, and, and negative. It's hard to, hard to summarise. Stay with me for more and my final chat indeed with Ben Farron. And we've also got a treat from Robert Glasper. That's in just a moment. Please don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Just for a few more minutes, Ben Farron's my business shaper. Ben, you were talking about people and hiring good people and then you lose, you know, you regret the people that go. You touched on it before and, I, and I'm hoping you'll be able to, to nail it for me. But if someone says, so Ben, I'm about to join this business, it's seven years old, I can tell it's doing really well. There's, you know, people talk about it. I've seen the advert on ITV. I see the digital thing over here, clever stuff on the funding. They know all their stuff, like, you know, they've done all their homework. And then they say, so Ben, the purpose is what? I understand that you've created a menswear brand. You make it easier for men like me. And I'm not bell jar, bell, whatever you called it, in the middle. I forget the phrase. What was it? Bell curve. The bell curve, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not in the middle of the bell curve. I wish I was. Six foot sounds incredibly phenomenal place to be as a person who's about five foot eight-ish and, sh and shrinking. But what is the purpose in Ben's own words without it being, you know, in the corporate brochure? Yeah, um... I think we all know that we have this funny relationship with clothes and they can do extraordinary things to the way that we feel and the way that we project and the way that we encounter the world. Maybe the simplest way of putting it is, is to invert it and say, you know what it feels like to walk out of the house 
wearing a pair of trousers that are a centimeter too short and swinging around your ankles. I mean, it literally puts you off your stride. It properly puts you off your game. And the reverse is true when you nail it and you feel like the best version of yourself. The rest of the world can feel that too. I don't feel like it's too much of an extension to say if, if I can create an experience in this menswear brand that allows more guys to feel like the best version of themselves mm. at 8am, they'll have better days and good days lead to greatness. And I'm okay with that. I mean, you know, back in Africa, I, I was sort of trying to solve world hunger. I, w I, was, I was building a, a mobile banking business that financially emancipated people who had no access to formal financial services. That The sense of mission there almost doesn't need articulating. It's so obvious. And I've gone from that to selling trousers. But I, I do think that, you know, creating a loved brand that solves a problem for people every day and makes them feel better about themselves, you're adding something to the world when you do that. I'm good with that. And you yourself, I imagine, probably feel better for the fact that you're trying to find that space, which is more you. In other words, what you do, it may not be perfect. It may never be perfect, Ben, because you're a highly intelligent, analytical individual, but it probably feels, that thing we talk about, flow, probably feels like you yourself are also every day is better because there's some sense of, yeah, this is, this is a good thing. Yeah, I d yeah. Do you know what? I don't, the, the important thing is that I don't fear that the road not travelled. I'm not going to wake up in 10 years and wonder what if. Mm. I gave it a go. Didn't really matter what it was, but I, I, I took a proper punt. And people often say to me, oh, I was very brave starting your own business. And, and you can actually, if you want to be really negative about it, frame it as, a, as an act taken out of fear. You know, I just desperately didn't want to wake up and wonder what if. Mm. And it does help me sleep at night, the thought that I've, I've given it a crack and, and built something. Because if I hadn't, if I'd got through the next 30 years just building the PowerPoint slides, I'd always have wondered, and I think that I'd have carried quite a lot of regret as a consequence. And I, and I don't have to worry about that. It's been really good talking to you. And thank you for being so candid as well. Just before I let you disappear, what is your song choice and why have you chosen it? So I've picked a track called Something I Dreamed Last Night by the, the Miles Davis Quintet. It's from a, an LP called Steaming with the Miles Davis Quintet. I picked it up in a record store about five years ago. I thought it was a reasonably esoteric choice. You're probably going to tell me that it's a, an absolute classic. First time we've had it chosen in 10 years. So pretty original, Ben. <laughs> pretty good. So, so I stumbled across it. And I play it endlessly. I listen to it two or three times a week. I can't really describe what it does for me. It just sort of dissolves anxiety and puts me in a bit of flow. And yeah, it's, it's an album that's become quite a big part of my life. And I love this track in particular. This is a great kind of 10 p.m. Trying to figure out what's important for the next day. I'll put this on and yeah, everything feels right. Something I Dreamed Last Night from the Miles Davis Quintet, the song choice of my business shaper today, Ben Farron. A very thoughtful person, someone who has reflected about all sorts of things without post-rationalising what he has done. Someone who was looking for purpose and believed that working for someone else was not going to give him the purpose that he has working for himself. The importance of variety to Ben and the fact that he likes to mix things up how important resilience is and that whole journey that many of my guests have been on. And finally, and I really like this, the notion of going on a steep learning curve and that that was the discipline that the management consultancy background gave him when he looked at setting up the new business. Really great stuff. 
That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.